We now welcome Bob Herrig to the show. Bob, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you guys? We're great. Good. So we'd love to just hear your opening thoughts and reactions from the Masters and what you took away from this week. Well, I think first off is a great performance by Dustin Johnson. You know, uh, I don't care what the conditions are. You shoot uh, 20 under par and you set a scoring record by two, shoot 65, two of the four days. Um, you know, pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Uh, and, and cap in a, just a great year for him. You know, he's been, uh, he's been really solid, uh, in 2020, despite all the distractions and, you know, now he kind of gets over the hump. He gets that second major that's been so elusive and I wouldn't be surprised if he adds a few more. Yeah. So I, I personally think there's a huge difference between having one major and having two in terms of where it puts you in golfing history. But where do you think this win, if DJ were to end his career right now, where do you think this puts him in golfing history amongst some of the all-time greats? Well, I think it probably has him, you know, maybe knocking on the door of the top 20. Uh, um, he, you know, there's a lot of guys who have more than two majors. Um, there's also a lot who have more than 24 wins, but there's not that many in this era. You know, I mean, only Tiger and Phil on active players have more. And, um, you know, Vijay Singh had 34. Um, you know, there's just, other than those guys, there's just not much, you know, the, the, to, to win this many times is, is really incredible in this era. I mean, I think getting to 20 wins now for anybody, I mean, I think Rory will get there. He's got 18. Um, Justin Thomas has a great chance. But I mean, we're talking 20, not 24, you know, getting the getting to 30 wins, especially is uh, is a monumental achievement at, at this time where there's so much parity and, you know, so many great players. So, uh, you know, I think he's taking care. I mean, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question about it. And uh, to your point, having two, you know, sets you apart. It also helps erase some of the negativity of the, um, you know, of, of the not getting the second one, you know, all of a sudden now the focus shifts to two, as opposed to, well, how come he doesn't have more than one, you know, and that will always be there. It was there for Greg Norman. Uh, but you know, he's got time, he's got time to add a few more. And, uh, you know, why would we think he won't be right there again in April, which isn't that far away? Yeah. Did you notice anything in particular with DJ just being on the grounds and watching him? I mean, he's sort of got this demeanor, you know, the old, uh, uh, you know, the duck above water calmness and, you know, kicking like crazy below the surface. I don't think he kicks like crazy below the surface either. I think he just kind of just goes about it and he's very calm and he's got this, he's got this good way about him. He doesn't get rattled. Um, and, I think that has served him well because, um, you know, when he's had these shortcomings, he doesn't let it linger. He doesn't, it doesn't bother him for long. He just bounces back. And, um, you know, he, he had COVID-19 a couple of weeks ago. I mean, yeah. think about, think about that. I mean, I think this is a little bit underplayed. Uh, you know, he got it the, um, Okay, so the Zozo was three weeks before the Masters. So the CJ Cup was four weeks before, a month out. He gets tested for COVID on that Sunday. So basically four Sundays 
uh, before he wins the Masters. And would have been that, it would have been, yeah, Houston. Uh, yes, four Sundays yeah, before he wins the Masters. So now he's got to stay in Vegas in a hotel room for 11 days, 10 days. Can't leave. He was in the room for 11 because he had gotten there a day before. He can't leave. He can't practice. Not only can he not play, he can't practice. He can't exercise. You know, um, and and he's sitting there thinking, I'm going to miss two tournaments that I was planning on playing leading up to the Masters, and he did. He could have played at Sherwood the next week, but he he would not have been permitted on site until the day of the first round, and he just felt like that wasn't that wasn't a good idea. He hadn't practiced. He wasn't prepared. So he misses two tournaments he was supposed to play to prepare for the Masters. Um, you know, I, if I'm him, I'm kind of worried. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of yeah, thinking right. that's not a good that, – that I'd be fretting about that a little bit. Maybe I overpractice. Maybe I, you know, I overdo it trying to get ready. You know, he played in Houston and tied for fourth, which I'm sure calmed his nerves a lot. It made him feel a lot better about things. But, you know, that's, that's how he is. I mean, he, he didn't let that bother him at all. That could have been a disaster. And instead, you know, he still comes back and wins the Masters. Yeah, I think that got totally underplayed. Uh, I was listening to an interview with Tony Finau, and he was saying, I mean, he got COVID, right, you know, maybe a month ago or uh, a little longer than that. But he's saying he still isn't fully recovered. He doesn't know what the, the long-term effects are. He's still feeling really weak and kind of fatigued a lot. So for DJ to come out, I mean, basically two weeks off of getting you know, finishing up with the, the COVID quarantine, I think is totally undersold. And I don't think yeah. anyone's really talked about it. Yeah. Hey, listen, not to preach here, but let that be a lesson to you, right? I mean, Tony Finau's 31. You know, he's an athlete. He works out. And, and, and I talked to him at the Zozo, which was his first event back. And he said he had it really bad for five days. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he didn't feel like he was going to die, but he felt really lousy. He said it was way worse than the flu. Um, he didn't know when it was going to go away. He had lost his sense of taste and smell. Uh, and, you know, it just kind of goes to show you, it just, it's not just something that's affecting older people. We're finding even, you know, a guy, you know, DJ had symptoms, not as bad, not as bad. You know, he, he seemed to recover from it better. Uh, he's a little older than, uh, than Finau. Uh, but Finau had it pretty rough and so did some other people, you know, so, um, it's nothing to mess with. And, and clearly, you know, for these guys, it really can impact their careers if they get it at the wrong time or if it makes them feel lousy, you know, uh, Finau looks like he's playing decently enough, but, uh, who knows how much it's impacted his practice. You know, maybe he didn't feel like working at it as hard at the masters cause he didn't feel good. Uh, and so uh, here we are, you know, it is, it's, it, it's, uh, it's fortunate for Dustin that he got it when he did, if he was going to get it and that he was able to recover from it and feel good. Now let's, let's start talking about some of these other guys that were in contention who impressed you the most over the weekend. And who do you think kind of disappointed you? I mean, we know answer kind of shat the bed on Sunday, but <laughs> what were your thoughts on, on the contenders and, and what they did? Well, you know, I think you have to uh, – Cam Smith and Sung J.M. did did pretty well for themselves. Uh, you, you know, this was M's first Masters, and usually guys don't fare that well first time there. 
uh, and and Cam Smith too. I I, I think it's his second Masters, uh, and you know, but he's not a prominent name. He's not up there a lot, and those guys made it interesting for a little while. And and you know, um, Smith is the the only player in Masters history to shoot all four rounds in the sixties. You know, most times fifteen under is going to win. Uh, you shoot four rounds in the sixties and you shoot 15 under, you're going to win. Uh, so that was a heck of a performance. I mean, as far as disappointments to me, the easy one there is Rory, you know, first round 75, yeah. when the field average for the first round was the lowest first round average in masters history. There were 20, I believe it was 22 sub 70 scores that day, which was also a record for the first round, you know? And so he's, He's four shots worse than the course average that day and six shots worse than doing what 22 guys did. You know, if he shoots 69 the first day, um, obviously, you know, it, that's not enough to make up the difference, but he's a lot closer and maybe things are different, uh, you know, on Sunday with him, with him in contention. You know, it's just, <clears throat> it's just a shame for him. I mean, he's tried so hard. Um, you know, to get the Masters after coming. That's the only one he needs for the career Grand Slam. And uh, and he just seems to get in his own way because he sure played nice after that. You know, 66, 67, 69, um, nothing, to, uh, noth- nothing to be ashamed of there. But I, I find him a, a disappointment that he wasn't able to get off to the start he needed on really what was a pretty easy day. And then, you know, maybe a little bit, I would say, Justin Thomas. Um, you know, uh, I expected him to hang in there on Saturday. Uh, you know, he was tied for the lead through 30, 36 holes with DJ and DJ shot 65 and Thomas shot 71 and he's six back. And that's pretty hard to overcome. Uh, again, we're talking about a course that was playing easier than it's ever played and to, to not do better than 71 when you, when you're right there is, is unfortunate. Yeah, we are talking about JT, and he has some serious problems off the tee with his consistency, and it looks like he's he has that two-way miss. I mean, he'll hit the smother hook, and then he'll also hit that, that block fade. seems like that's where he's getting in trouble. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing he was – he's just not been um, – he's, he's not had things going his way here off the tee. I mean, he probably should have won the Zozo a few weeks ago. You know, he, he finished one back and he didn't make a birdie over the last 10 holes on a, on a course that was, you know, had uh, three par fives on the back nine. So, um, you know, there's just something a little off. I thought he was going to be, I, you know, I actually picked him to win the Masters. I thought it was his tournament to win. I thought the things that, you know, the, the COVID stuff was going to hold DJ back. Uh, so, uh, I mean, look, it's no shame. I think he finished fourth. You know, so and and uh, uh, Justin has gotten better every year now in the Masters. Mm-hmm. You know, his his finishes have gotten better every year. So, you know, maybe that means he'll be right there in April. Yeah. So, Bob, I do want to ask you. You just touched on Rory, and I've been on Rory's case a little bit, uh, specifically with his first round play in in majors. And you had last year Royal Port Rush. He shoots like what seventy eight or seventy nine on the first day, and and pretty much knocks himself right out of the tournament. It seems like there's a common trend. And what do you think the issue is with Rory, like the first couple rounds of majors? Because 
you see the flashes over the weekend. He gets red hot and then he starts to make a charge and it's usually not enough because he's so far back. So what do you think he needs to do uh, day one? Well, I think he wants it too much, you know, putting too much pressure on himself and, um, you know, easier said than done, right? How do you, how do you alleviate that? How do you, you know, somebody made the joke last week, you know, tell Roy that the first round is on Wednesday when he's playing his practice <laughs> round and let him get it out of the way. Um, because it's just kind of, it, it is, it seems, it seems more than a coincidence that this has happened in some first rounds, you know, and then you're battling the whole way back. And sure. I mean, part of it, him getting back in it is because now he's sort of like loose. He realizes he's got nothing to lose anymore. Um, for whatever reason, he's not taking that attitude to the first tee. Yeah. And you, you can yeah. hear it when he talks like in after his press conference after Sunday, he was talking about how he loses, you know, 10 to 15 pounds during master's week. Cause he gets so anxious about it. It's like, that's just, that's not normal. And he's <laughs> seems like, he's just talking himself out of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, the, that's putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Now he talked a good game going in, you know, he thought that the lack of attention going into this, into this masters would be good for him. You know, it was more subdued this year. It's true. There wasn't the usual buildup like there is and like there will be in April, you know, in, in January and February, we'll, February, we'll start talking about the Masters. You know, we didn't really start talking about it that much until, you know, late September into October. You know, and there's so much else going on in the sports world and, and the schedule's so jumbled. You know, these guys weren't playing the same lead-up events. And I think he felt that would help him. You know, and, and obviously, you know, he still had the issues there on day one. And really... You know, he, he played after it rained. He got the whole round in. Uh, it was a great opportunity to get off to a good start, and, and, you know, he wasn't able to. So how does this shift now to April? Because you have even more storylines here, and, you know, can DJ repeat? Um, what's JT going to do? Is Rom going to contend again? You also have the, the crazy Bryson storyline, um, and I'd like to get your thoughts on Bryson as well, but how does this now shift to April and what do you see changes <clears throat> in terms of, you know, now until then? Well, I mean, I think first from just a worldwide perspective, I think it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to have any level of spectators. Um, you know, it's, it was this totally different master's experience without them. And uh, I think we're all fine with it this way for one year. I think if we had to do it again in April, that would really stink, you know, and there's mm -hmm. no guarantee that we'll are going to, we're going to be able to, you know, they're going to have to make a decision pretty soon. Like maybe as early as, you know, late January, uh, because they've got so many people that they've distributed badges to who were, who were, uh, deferred to 2021 people with housing, people with hotel reservations, you've got to give them some notice one way or the other, if they're coming or if they're not, or if they're going to reduce it, how do you reduce it? You know, if, if you're used to having 30,000 a day, but you can only have 10, well, what do you do? How do you, how do you figure that out? Who doesn't get to come? It's a, um, it's a really, really tough call. And uh, you know, and, and I, I think it has an impact on the event. It's, 
it's not as hard to win if you don't have to deal with the noise. You know, that's, that is right. part of pressure. That's part of the pressure that you face when you have fans screaming as you're walking up the ball. It's just impossible to block that out. And it, it, can, it can affect people. I'm not saying DJ wouldn't have won. He's won plenty of tournaments with those kind of crowds. But I think, you know, it probably made it easier on Smith and M because yeah. they didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask you about it is, you know, do you think we got these names? Like, you know, Cam Smith is obviously a really good player. He's one on the PGA Tour. And Sung Jay is one of the bright young talents out there. But Sung Jay, you know, has had real struggles this year. Uh, and they've been documented. And he even said in his press conference after – his goal was to just make the cut. He, you know, he wasn't thinking at all about finishing T2. Do you think that was really the main reason that we got some guys that had kind of been struggling that ended up on, on the top of the leaderboard? I don't think it, you know, I, I do. I, I think that it's a factor. Um, you know, uh, there's always players that do well in their first masters. Typically there's always a couple of them. But um, you had two things this year. The lack of fans clearly has an impact. And you had a golf course that we were all wondering how it would play. Would it play the same? Would it, play? it ended up playing drastically different than it does in April. I think mm -hmm. that caught guys by surprise because it's still the same surface, you know, overseed rye. It's still the same bent grass greens. They've had rain at Masters tournaments before, and the greens are still firm. And that really wasn't the case. Um, the, the course was slow. It was soft. You know, you saw balls hit on greens and, and, and stop an inch away from their pitch mark. Um, yes, they did get a good bit of rain. But I'm not sure, even without that rain, that the course would have still been soft. And that, I think, is a product of it hadn't had the chance to grow in like it like it would by april you know they they close at the end of may and and, and those fairways are basically left uh the 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 rye grass that they overseed with to make it look green goes away in the heat and they have bermuda grass that i don't they, they don't really maintain and and they actually will shave it back before they before they put the rye grass down in september well because it was so warm in the fall in Georgia, that Bermuda grass still grew back in. So they had a, a mixture of Bermuda and rye in the fairways and around the greens that they normally wouldn't have. And then for whatever reason, the greens just never got firm. Is it, is it, you know, I saw where, where Rom said, we'll never play Augusta national like we played at this time. And uh, you know, so so that's a factor. I mean, I think it was easier. Again, it was the same for everybody. You know, you don't take anything away from them, but, but still, um, it might have brought more of the name players to the top had it been firmer because the scoring wouldn't have been as low and their skills come out. And uh, we, we just didn't have that. So, you know, to your point about him and, and you know, who hadn't really done much since the restart, uh, and Cam Smith, you know, they might have benefited from that. I, I, I can't say for sure, but it's certainly a possibility because, um, you know, they, they, they got to face a course that 
it, they didn't know what they were going to see. The other guys have a lot of institutional knowledge, and I think they had a hard time. Tiger's a great example. I think Tiger had a hard time getting over the idea that the ball was, was um, going to stop. And, you know, so he spun a bunch back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because that's the kind of ball he plays, and he just had trouble adjusting. And, um, you know, that's, that's why he didn't hit it close very often. You know, because he couldn't he couldn't pull that off. He couldn't figure it out. Yeah, it was really weird to see balls just <laughs> ripping back. I mean, what stood out to me on eight guys, you know, they had that kind of back left pin location, maybe more towards the middle, right behind that ridge. And guys could not get it past the ridge. I mean, they kept spinning it 20, 30 feet back from 80 yards. You just don't see that at Augusta National. Usually they're, you know, playing it in off slopes and uh, it was really different. So, uh, and I kind of want to get into to Bryson as well, but looking at what Bryson's doing in major championships and, you know, how Augusta national has talked about lengthening the golf course or rolling back the ball. What do you think that we can expect maybe five, six years down the road uh, when there's a kind of a better idea of what the USGA and the RNA are going to do about distance what do we expect Augusta National will look like at that point? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know what more they can do. Um, you know, they can lengthen the tee on 13. But even 13 gave some guys fits this year. Yeah. You know, um, they had difficulty with trees on that hole. Um, I would hate it if they moved it back much because they were caught between trying to get it around the corner or hitting it too far. You know, right. and if they hit it too far, they didn't have a shot either. So it right. really wasn't that easy. I mean, you still, the hole still plays easy. Um, you know, uh, you know, they, Fred Ridley, the chairman, basically said, you know, we're really anxiously waiting to see what they, they do because he feels they're at a tipping point. You know, um, so I, I, I think what they would like to see is, all right, how about no more improvements in, in the equipment? you know, in terms of the elite players, I don't know how you roll it back. You know, even yeah. if you, t- if you took 10% off, do you really want a guy who hits it 300 and now only be hitting it 270. You know, I, I just don't, I know. Oh no, actually, is that what it would be? No, he would be, uh, yeah, no, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, 10% well, yeah. would be, right. would be uh-huh. 30 yards. You know, I mean, it's just, I don't know that that's the answer. I think the answers are more complex. I think it's, you know, making the ball like maybe just a tad shorter, a percentage point or two, um, uh, not allowing uh, big-headed drivers. Like they could yeah, shrink that's... them. You know, the, those drivers could be even made a little bit smaller with, with the idea that you can't go any bigger. Um, there's been some crazy talk about, you know, making them – um, have at least a nine or 10 degree loft, you know, Bryson hits like a six degree, six degree driver, you know, and look, he still launches it way up into the air, you know? So, um, I think there's, I think there's, you know, uh, some of that involved, but it's, you know, as Tiger said, as Nicholas has said, (laughs) you know, this is, this is way far down the road. These are things that should have been thought of 20 years ago. Yeah. And, you, you know, you touched on 13 there. I, I was kind of in the boat. I thought, you know, wow, Bryson's going to be hitting it into 14 fairway. Like this hole's going to play too easy. 
But, you know, even though it was playing really soft, we still saw a lot of high numbers. And I think that comes down to the risk reward aspect of the tee shot there. I, it's not an easy tee shot. We saw Rory really a lot of people snapped it left. A lot of people going left. Bryson struggled uh, day one, hit a really bad tee shot there. So I think it really comes down to the tee shot there. And there's still a, a really good risk reward element to that hold where I don't think you need to move the tee back there at all. Especially get rewarded yeah. for a good tee yeah. shot. Especially with um, growing out the rough a little bit, guys who hit it a little bit through the fairway couldn't go for the green. They had to lay up if they weren't in the fairway. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's still, it still offers a challenge. You know, uh, the first day Bryson, you saw what he did, you know, he, I thought he made a mental mistake there. Uh, trying, trying to go for it from the right hand rough with the ball a little above his feet. And, you know, it probably wasn't the play. It yanked yeah. it left into the, into the bushes and had to take a drop and end up making a double, you know, um, he could have still made birdie by wedging it onto the green from in front of the Creek and, and, and at worst make par, you know? So I think in, in Bryson's case, I think, you know, the answer is, is there's still more to the game than driving as great of an, an advantage as that gives him still more to it. And, uh, he, uh, um, you know, he, uh, he, he showed that over the weekend, I think, that, that it's not always just about hitting a launch a tee shot and having a short iron in. you got to have the other aspects of the game. He had the other aspects of the U.S. Open. This time he made a few mental errors, and, and he wasn't able to get more out of the rest of his game, and you saw he finished way back. Yeah. Uh, how do you think he fares in April? I have a feeling he'll do better. You know, he'll, he'll put a lot of focus on being ready for the masters in April. And, uh, if anything, you know, you have to appreciate his work ethic. He try he works at this really hard. You know, a lot of people don't like this, but look, you know, this is what his goal was. It's what he said he wanted to do. He wanted to gain weight. He wanted to gain muscle, wanted to get stronger and he's done it. You know, he's leading the tour and driving distance. It's remarkable. Uh, but, um, you know, that, uh, uh, that, that still set, that still leaves out. You've got the other aspects of the game. And he even said it before the tournament, look, I still got to get it on the green and make the putts. And, uh, you know, he wasn't able to do that quite as well as he needed to. With what Bryson's done, we've seen, you know, the videos of Tony Finau, uh, DJ Rory, all, all kind of having fun with it, but going out and chasing a little bit of speed. Uh, do you think, like, are there other players, you know, I'm looking at Spieth or, you know, guys that are hitting at average length. Are these guys going to start doing what Bryson's doing? Like, you know, to a lesser extent, but are they going to really start chasing speed? And if so, what can we expect from that? Is it a good idea for these guys to do that? I think inevitably some are going to. They see the benefits. Um, they see how how people have always throughout – golf gotten uh you know sort of mesmerized by distance um the problem is is when you chase it uh you run the risk of of hurting your game there's countless examples of that you know i mean are you willing at this point like if you're a 25 28 30 year old guy are you willing to transform your body uh to the point that that you can do that are you willing to really work that hard to marry up 
your swing speed and your ball speed and all these things to hit it farther uh, at the risk of maybe impacting the rest of your game. You know, I, I really see his influence more on younger people. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a teenager coming up and you see what he's doing and you're a pretty good player, you might see the benefit in, in, in doing that so that you have some time to work on it. But in the middle of your career, I think, I think that's a lot harder. I think it's a lot harder to, 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 you know, say, okay, I'm going to make this change. I, I, you know, that's why what he's done is remarkable and he's done it in a year. You know, I mean, he did, you know, a year ago, this time he, or maybe, you know, 13, 14 months ago, he was, what was he? He weighed 190 pounds, 200 pounds. And now he's 240. You know, he, he did what he said he was going to do it. That's hard to do, especially for a young person to put on that kind of weight. Typically they have a hard time keeping it on as Rory said. So um, I don't think it's for everybody. I mean, Rory hits it plenty far. His, his deal is being flexible, strong and flexible. Um, I would probably suggest that, that ha- being limber and loose is better than being strong like, like, like Bryson is. But Bryson's just different. You know, he's almost robotic out there, and uh, it works for him. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to get you in trouble here or, you know, you know say anything that's, that could be wrong. But do you think – like the PGA tour really doesn't do a lot of uh, performance enhancing drug testing. And really since the restart, I think that hasn't been talked about at all, but is Bryson a guy that is potentially, you know, using something that is considered an illegal substance and has that been looked into at all by the PGA tour? Because, you know, putting on that much weight is insanely impressive. And really we haven't seen that from a golfer. So I just wanted to, kind of get your thoughts on that the the tour the tour claims that they have that they have still conducted random drug testing um and uh now they'll never tell us who and how often they keep all that secret um bryson's trainer was asked about this and he said he goes look if it, from the outside, if you looked at this, you'd think that he'd have had to use steroids to do it. He, he came out and admitted it. Of course, he then said, he's not doing that. I know that he's not doing that, but I understand why people would think it. So, you know, I never say never. I'm certainly not accusing him of it. I mean, he'd be taking a huge chance. In theory, they could have a guy show up at his door and test him. Um, that's rare. But I mean, that, that's what the rules are. You, they, they are allowed to test outside of competition. And if they suspected, I'm sure they would. Uh, so, um, uh, but yeah, you know, the, you're going to bring that kind of scrutiny on when you do something like this. It's, uh, it's just human nature. Yeah, I, I've always, I really haven't thought that he's been doing that. But, you, you know, if there's any guy that's going to get, you know, put on this amount of weight, and do it the right way, it would be Bryson because, you know, he really is one of the most motivated guys out there. So I, I agree. I don't think there's any uh, reason to really suspect it right now, but uh, I just, you know, I wanted to see if, if the tour had been testing because it really hadn't been talked about much at all. Yeah. You know, you're right. It's uh, I think, I think Brian uh, Bryson, he's so scientific in his approach that to me, it, this almost makes sense for him. He's incredibly, yeah. you know, he kind of prepared for it for 
like he did things for like a year, year and a half before he went on the diet, before he started doing all that to, to prepare his body to do it. So it is something he had been thinking about. Are other guys going to be that dedicated to something like that? I think they'd rather just go hit balls, you know, so um, and and work on their game that way. It's just a different, different way of looking at it. So um, anyway, you know, uh, kudos to him if he's doing it the right way. Absolutely. So, Bob, what's next for you? Are you going to be in Sea Island and Mayakoba QB shootout? Are you going to be you going to be reporting at those events? Uh, it does not look like I will be, um, I will, um, uh, I'm definitely not I'm in Sea Island this week and I won't be going to Mayakoba. Uh, the other one is in Naples, which isn't far from where I live and I could possibly jump down there, although it's unofficial. Even, you know, all of us, we're sort of in this holding pattern too, with what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, we're trying to pick our spots for travel and, and being careful. And, um, so my guess is I will not be back out again until sometime in January. Uh, maybe, maybe Tory Pines, you know, probably where tiger emerges again. Um, mm. and, and sort of then work my way back into the year that way and, um, get to a few tournaments in Florida near where I live. And then all of a sudden I've got four or five tournaments under my belt going into the masters. Right. Now, Bob, before we let you go, and we, we appreciate you coming on so much, we have a few rapid-fire questions for you. Okay. What, in your opinion, what's the sexiest shot in golf? Oh, <laughs> uh, wow, that's a good one. I have to say that it is the, um, the, the flop shot around a green uh, behind a bunker when it looks like you got nothing. Mm-hmm. And these guys can pull it off like, you know, the rest of us are sculling it into the bunker. We're hitting it 20 yards over the green. We have no chance of getting it close. And these guys have just that unbelievable ability and touch to get the club under the ball and make it stop. I think that's pretty cool. Totally. What's the best part about being at Augusta? Um, I would just say I, the, the best part about being Augusta is the views. There's just nothing quite like it. You know, every time you go, it just, uh, it sort of overwhelms the senses. It's really neat, really just a neat vibe. People don't get the, don't, um, don't even TV doesn't even high def TV. I don't think does justice to the uh, undulation out there. It's amazing how far the course goes down from 10th tee down to amen corner it's a huge drop and uh it's really neat morikawa wolf hovland who has a better 2021 season um i am gonna go with morikawa um just think he's a little bit more consistent than those guys and um uh you know i just i just sort of like like his game a little bit better. That's not any slight on the others. They, they're all going to have great years, I think. Tiger will win how many tournaments on tour going forward? Going forward. Wow, that's a tough one right now. I'm actually, before you guys hooked up with me here and when, I'm, when we're done, I'm working on a Tiger column, kind of like along those lines. And it's really, really hard – 
it, it, he could be done for all I know. But I think what would happen at the end on Sunday showed shows what's still there when he's, when he's, when he's got his mind to it. Mm-hmm. So I am going to be very optimistic and say, he's going to win three more times to get to 85. That would wow. be incredible. Who is your early pick to win in April? I'm going with DJ. You know, wow. he just did hard, it now. Not to. Why would he not do it again? You know, playing some great golf. He's been playing great golf for six months. Um, and, you know, uh, look, if I were him, I would celebrate this win for a little while. I would take some downtime. But, man, I would, I would get my mind back on it quick. I would not want to lose what I have right now. It's not to yeah. mean that you hit balls every single day. But I would, I would not want to slack off and, and, and let it get too far away from me. Now, going back to Tiger, this is our last question. Do you have a favorite Tiger story? Uh, let's see, a favorite Tiger story. Um, well, yeah, you know, I actually have a, a, a decent one. Um, uh, every year, we didn't do it this year for obvious reasons, but every year at the Masters, there's a golf writer's dinner. And, um, so last year on the eve of his win, he was there as our comeback player of the year for 2018. And at this dinner, we give out a player of the year award for the men, women, and champions. There's a bunch of other things. His, his was actually the Ben Hogan award for someone who comes back from, from injury, obviously pretty, pretty easy pick given what Mm -hmm. he had done. And, you know, Tiger's been our player of the year like 10 times and always showed up. You know, he doesn't stay always, but he comes, gives a little talk. And, and, and I actually was, was chosen to introduce him. And so I gave this little introductory speech. And when Tiger had gone in the past, there's always a video of the player's highlights um, from the year before. Well, he'd always, won, it, he'd always been there as player of the year. So there would be highlights for that guy for being player of the year. But there wasn't highlights for him for this award. He was just getting this Ben Hogan award, which is, you know, commemorating him coming back from injury. And so I introduced him and he got up there. And the first thing he said was, um, how come I didn't get a video? Because <laughs> no video for me. All I got was Bob Herrick. Place <laughs> laughed, you know. So, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. And then he gave a five-minute speech that was unbelievable. No notes really from the heart. It wasn't like Tiger, like we usually see really, really well done. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Something I always remember. Oh, I think it's because you teed him up so well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think he, you know, and I, I, I said to people other, afterward, it was good karma, you know, that, <laughs> that, because the people walked out of there amazed at how well he did and how heartfelt that seemed. And then sure enough, he goes on to win. That's awesome. Bob, that's great. That's a great story. We, we really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, you're one of the most reputable voices in the game today. And uh, just for people listening, where can they find you and uh, some of your work, like, you know, specifically on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, it's just my name, at Bob Herrig, B-O-B-H-A-R-I-G. Um, you know, all of our content is at ESPN.com backslash golf. And, uh, that's it. That's, that's pretty much the, the place to find me. I'm usually pretty accessible on Twitter. Um, yeah, you know, for the, for the sane ones and, uh, 
uh, and even for some of the insane ones. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I feel pretty good about engaging about stuff. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. Well, Bob, we can't thank you enough and we'd love to do it again at some point. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Just reach out guys. Happy to. Yeah. We'd love awesome. to have you on right before, uh, April's masters. Get a little <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. That. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Talk to you later. Anytime. Be well. I hit a chili dip. It was off the it was off the hosel. I mean Cameron Davis is a joke. Mike, you got any yeah. takes on the e-golf pro tour? You already have iron <laughs> covers. You already look like a giant <laughs> pussy. I don't care. I honestly don't give a shit. Stri- <laughs> he could be six feet under at this point, whoever Jesus. WD. I didn't watch a single <clears throat> bit of it, but I'm gonna chirp at the Fairmont St. Andrews because of the name. Yeah, Paul Tesori. Paul Tesori, friend of the pod. Neiman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Friend so- of the pod on Betsy. Terrell Haddon, are you kidding me? And there is a raccoon, no joke, like 20 feet away. Florida. Say Florida, I'm hanging out. No, you can't say Florida.